The Spiritual Message of the Gospel of Thomas today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. These are the secret sayings that the living Jesus spoke and Didymos Judas Thomas the Twin recorded. Saying 1. Whosoever discovers the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. It's time for Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean of SpiritualAwakeningRadio.com. Today's program is the spiritual message of the Gospel of Thomas. I hope to go over as much material as I can. What is the Gospel of Thomas? Where does it come from? Who are the people of Thomas? What spiritual community did this ancient scripture belong to? Who used it? Where does it fit into the grand scheme of things? What are the teachings to be found in the Gospel of Thomas? What is the message of this text? And does it fit into a spiritual community that has other texts? Is there a tradition at work here? If so, what is the location of that tradition, summarizing the spiritual message of the Gospel of Thomas today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. A long time ago, I was reading some writings by the Alexandrian early church father, Origen, Origen of Alexandria. On the page that I was reading from him, he quotes this saying that he attributes to Jesus. Whoever is near me is near the fire, and whoever is far from me is far from my kingdom. That saying didn't sound familiar to me from the New Testament. It's not in the New Testament, and yet it's a saying attributed to Jesus by early church father and theologian Origen of Alexandria. And then eventually I found a copy of a book called The Gospel of Thomas, which really is a collection of the sayings of Jesus. If you were going to give the book a better title, you'd call it a collection of the sayings of Jesus compiled by the apostle Thomas, something like that. It's a collection of the sayings of Jesus, not the sayings of Thomas. Saying 82 of the Gospel of Thomas reads as follows. Jesus said, Whoever is near me is near the fire, and whoever is far from me is far from the Father's kingdom. There it is. Origin of Alexandria quoting a saying of Jesus. And that's not found in the New Testament, but here it is, found in the Gospel of Thomas. There is a general consensus among scholars that the Gospel of Thomas, discovered over a half-century ago in the Egyptian desert, dates to the very beginnings of early Christianity, 
and may have very well taken form before any of the four traditional canonical gospels found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. During the first few decades after its discovery, several voices representing established orthodox biases or biases argued that the Gospel of Thomas was a late 2nd or 3rd century Gnostic forgery. Scholars currently involved in Thomas studies now largely reject that view, though such arguments will still be heard from orthodox apologists or fundamentalists and are encountered in some of the earlier publications about Thomas. But if your textbooks are up to date at the theological seminary you may attend, or if you've purchased a a recent book about the Gospel of Thomas, you'll get a sense that this book has gained a lot of ground in recent decades, is now respected as perhaps even a, a Gospel of the first century A.D., is as old a collection of the sayings of Jesus as any. In the ongoing debate about the Gospel of Thomas, those who are in favor of the book argue for an early date, and those uh, traditionalist kind of voices are always arguing for as late a date as possible. The belief is that the later you can date the Gospel of Thomas, the less legitimate it is, the less legitimate it might be. If it's a 2nd or 3rd century book, not so important, but if it dates back to the same time as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or perhaps even slightly earlier, then it's an important book. So those who like Thomas date it early, or those who have researched it and have come to find it to be an early uh, voice for the sayings of Jesus um, are impressed by it, and those who are opposed to anything new happening in Christianity. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's the way it's been, that's the way it shall always be. You know, tradition is the answer. Charles Darwin is an evil guy. The fossil record, evil, very bad, very bad. Uh, all, always opposed to change. They always advocate for a late date. Late, less legitimate. Early date, more legitimate. That's kind of where the argument has been about the Gospel of Thomas. If the Gospel of Thomas was forged by someone, let's say, in Egypt, all of a sudden sayings from it would start circulating. It would be as if it parachuted from the sky, landed somewhere, people started reading it, and some quotes from it would be found. A a kind of Joseph Smith Book of Mormon type of effect. You know, a book containing sayings attributed to Jesus that no one's ever seen before, no one's ever quoted from before, not in Greece, not in Armenia, not around the Roman Empire, not in Egypt, not in North Africa, no place. It all of a sudden pops into existence in the United States, you know, many, many decades uh, ago, just kind of comes into existence. But if you are in touch with writings of early church fathers, not only origin of Alexandria, uh, but many others besides, you start to realize that the Gospel of Thomas was known in ancient times. This is a quote from St. Macarius of Syria. He quotes a saying attributed to Jesus. It's not found in the New Testament, 
It's not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It goes like this. God's kingdom is spread out upon the earth, and people do not see it. St. Macarius of Egypt. Now I go to gnosis.org, click on the Gospel of Thomas section, select a saying, in this case saying 113 of one of the translations of the Gospel of Thomas to be found online at gnosis.org. Here it is, a saying of Jesus. The Father's kingdom is spread out upon the earth and people do not see it. Once again, Gospel of Thomas, a saying of Jesus found in verse 113. The Father's kingdom is spread out upon the earth and people do not see it. St. Macarius of Syria quoting Jesus in one of his writings. God's kingdom is spread out upon the earth and people do not see it. Isn't that amazing? There, there it is, another example of that. Another example of this is the seek, find saying. Let's scroll back here. I'm using uh, gnosis.org here for the online translation, one of the online translations of the Gospel of Thomas. I'm scrolling back to saying... Actually, saying number two. Jesus said, Those who seek should not stop seeking until they find. When they find, they will be disturbed. When they are disturbed, they will marvel and will reign over all. And after they have reigned, they will rest. This particular translation of the Gospel of Thomas online is based not only on the Coptic edition that was found during the month of December 1945, but also the Oxyrhynchus earlier Greek edition of the Gospel of Thomas, which is a somewhat better translation. That same saying is also found in another book called The Gospel of the Hebrews. The Gospel of the Hebrews is a very ancient gospel, one of the first gospels. Uh, It describes the Apostle James as seeing Jesus appear to him at the time of his resurrection, or, or slightly after the time of his resurrection. And the Apostle Paul refers to that story in his second book of the Corinthians. And it is something that's described in the Gospel of the Hebrews. That's where it comes from, this account of James the Just encountering the resurrected Christ. The letters of Paul date back to the, you know, 40 AD, 50 AD in that period. So if he had a copy of the Gospel of the Hebrews, that would make the Gospel of the Hebrews very old indeed. A saying of Jesus found in the Gospel of the Hebrews. If you are searching, you must not stop until you find. When you find, however, you will become troubled. 
Your confusion will give way to astonishment. In wonder you will reign over all things and enter into rest. Those who seek should not stop seeking until they find. When they find, they will be disturbed. When they are disturbed, they will marvel, will reign over all, and after they have reigned, they will rest. If you are searching, you must not stop until you find. When you find, however, you will become troubled. Your confusion will give way to astonishment. In wonder, you will reign over all things and enter into heavenly rest. I interpret that saying, you know, from the, the Gospel of the Hebrews as well as the Gospel of Thomas, both the Coptic and Oxyrhynchus Greek editions, as really describing different stages of the spiritual journey. First, there is seeking. And for those who don't quit seeking, but get to the stage of finding, well, then they've arrived at finding something. The next stage after that is being disturbed or troubled in some way. There's a period of change or metanoia, uh, adjustment, refocusing, a bit of turmoil, death of the old and birth of the new, if you will. And then the next phase or stage after that is being marveled or astonished. In Syriac mysticism, in the Church of the East, the Syriac Aramaic tradition of saints and mystics, astonishment is a word that they use. It's a kind of sacred word to them that refers to being astonished by the manifestation of the light of God, the soul that has been laboring in prayer and in meditation is astonished as it is visited by the manifestation of divine light. So, wonder, wonder, nothing but wonder. The soul just is astonished. And beyond that, the next stage is ruling over all things, ruling over one's own personal part of the cosmos, reigning over the all, or the all within one's self. We'll talk about subtle bodies, or different uh, layers of the soul a little bit later on. Uh, and the final stage of the spiritual journey, entering into rest, or heavenly rest. Just entering into divine repose, resting with God again. I see these, or I, I interpret this saying, whichever version you prefer, Gospel of the Hebrews or Gospel of Thomas, as referring to different stages of the spiritual journey seeking, finding, being disturbed or troubled, entering into astonishment or a level of marveling, ruling over all, and then entering into rest. The Gospel of Thomas is my focus today, the meaning of the Gospel of Thomas. Scholars have hypothesized that the composers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Thomas, and other Gospels had some sort of collection of the sayings of Jesus in written form. And 
many Gospels share in common a number of quotes they attribute to Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount, various sayings, various parables. It's as if they have some sort of written collection of the sayings of Jesus. And Mark quotes from it, Luke quotes from it, Thomas quotes from it. About half of the material in Thomas uh, is found in this body of quotes. And scholars have given a name to this hypothesized sayings collection. They call it Sayings Gospel Q. Q for the German word Quelle, meaning source, a kind of source gospel or source material gospel. The first gospel, if you will. Some text that predates Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and probably Thomas as well. A collection of sayings and parables of Jesus. Mark quoted from it, Luke quoted from it, Thomas quoted from it, others have quoted from it too. It was hypothesized that there would be such a gospel format of sayings, a collection of sayings, and that's all it would be, a collection of sayings. But, of course, many didn't go along with that idea. You know, they only knew of, uh, once upon a time, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have a story of the gospel, and there are Pharisees and Sadducees and locusts and stuff happening, goings-on in Galilee and Jerusalem. And they could not conceive of a different kind of format for a gospel, one that more resembles the book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible than another version of a Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John with scribes and Pharisees in tow, stories about loaves and locusts and, and goings-on in Israel. And yet, during the month of December 1945, a number of books were found near the village of Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt. And one of those books was a Coptic language edition of the Gospel of Thomas, which has that very format of sayings, one saying after the other, Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, strengthening the Q gospel theory, uh, because there is indeed, we have now seen, uh, uh, proof of the existence of a sayings gospel, a collection of the proverbs of wisdom of Jesus. Now, Sayings Gospel Q has a couple of different layers. Some scholars have the Q1 layer and the Q2 layer. Q1 meaning the earliest material of Q, and Q2 being later material. And it's a bit of a conjecture as to which would be the earliest. You have two Jesuses in the Q material. One Jesus says, the kingdom of God is already here. And it isn't arriving with any sort of external signs to be observed. No moon turning blood red, no earthquakes, no prophecies being fulfilled in the outside world, the exterior physical world. It comes without observation and it's already here in the present tense. But in the Q material, 
There is also another Jesus that says the kingdom does come with signs to be observed in the sky. The moon turns blood red, the sun goes dark, the stars fall from the sky. Earthquakes, political goings-on in the external world. And it is a kind of future kingdom of God, a future tense kingdom of God that one day soon will be dropping down from the sky. And uh, there will be all of these uh, prophecies fulfilled. And that sort of message is all about end times prophecies in the sky, stuff goings on, you know, goings on in the sky in the by and by. Uh, and it's a very different sort of approach. One is a present tense spiritual kingdom, and the other is a very uh, external physical kingdom that's coming with signs and wonders, signs of prophecies being fulfilled. The Gospel of Thomas is very much, uh, uh, is very much focused on the present tense kingdom. The clear message, the clear theme of the Gospel of Thomas is a present tense kingdom of God that is unseen for most people. And the goal of those who are contemplating these sayings of Jesus, these sayings of wisdom, is to have a new kind of vision to acquire a new kind of eyesight, a new kind of sight, a new kind of vision in order to see, a new kind of hearing, to hear for those who have ears, let them hear, a new way of touching the divine that physical hands cannot touch and entering into something that the human mind cannot conceive. And in the Gospel of Thomas, the future kingdom message, the, the, the kingdom made of prophecies, signs being fulfilled, prophecy talk about second comings and end days, end times, that's considered to be part of the problem, part of the religious drunkenness that we must reject and grow up from, grow out of, as we get older and more mature, in order to find the real kingdom that's here and now. So the Gospel of Thomas is very much uh, in favor of that kind of material. And I suppose some might argue that that uh, original Jesus was uh, the Q1 layer, the spiritual kingdom of heaven that's present tense. Others might uh, have a different view and see the real historic Jesus as uh, being the Q1 um, who uh, was the end times prophecy teacher about prophecies being fulfilled in a future uh, militant or political kingdom of God arriving with signs to be observed, earthquakes, sun darkening, stars falling from the sky anyone that favors that approach to religion would probably argue that that's the Q1 layer, that's the original real Jesus, the original teachings, and the Q2 layer is a bit later. But if you like that, 
if you like that present tense spiritual kingdom, you probably see that as the Q1 layer, the original earliest collection of the sayings of Jesus, the re- getting back to the real teachings of Jesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is battling with a group that some call wisdom Christians. They have a kind of philosophical, uh, more wisdom focus that reminds me of Philo of Alexandria and uh, that strain of Judaism that was very much informed by the teachings of Plato and Pythagoras. I'm thinking of the Essenes. I'm thinking of uh, Platonism, uh, a love for wisdom. And then the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians quotes a saying of Jesus about giving the disciples what their eyes haven't seen before and what their ears haven't heard before and what has not occurred to the heart of man. Right in that same chapter where he's battling with the wisdom Christians. Saying 17 of the Gospel of Thomas, I will give you what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no hand has touched, what has not arisen in the human heart. There it is. A quote from Thomas attributed to Jesus, saying 17 of the Gospel of Thomas. The Master is saying, I will give you what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has his version of this very same saying, saying, It is written. Hey, Paul, where (laughs) is it written? What document do you have there during the first century at the time of the the writing of the letter of 1 Corinthians, somewhere between 40 and 50 AD? Where is it written for you, Paul? That's my question. It is found in the Gospel of Thomas, and it's attributed to Jesus, And there are several other Christian apocryphal texts and early church fathers that attribute that saying that's found in the Gospel of Thomas, saying 17. They attribute it to Jesus. There is a book called The Extra-Canonical Sayings of Jesus, Resources for Biblical Study, by William Stroker, S-T-R-O-K-E-R. And in there is a complete collection of all of these Thomasonian sayings and their parallels in other documents of the ancient world. If you locate saying 17 of the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, in the extra-canonical sayings of Jesus book by William Stroker, you'll find other authors in antiquity that are quoting that same I will give you what the eye has not seen and what the ear has not heard. That saying, wherever it turns up, and it is attributed to Jesus by other authors, just like it is attributed to Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas. What your own eyes cannot see, your human ears do not hear, your physical hands do not touch, and what is inconceivable to the human mind 
that I will give to you. Yeshua saying 17, Gospel of Thomas. From one of my favorite translations of the Gospel of Thomas, called the Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin, by Lynn Bauman. Some other selections from the Gospel of Thomas. Whoever drinks what flows from my mouth will become like me, will come to be as I am, and I also will come to be as they are, so that which is hidden can become manifest. That's from saying 108. If your spiritual guides say to you, Look, the divine realm is in the sky. Well then, the birds will get there ahead of you. If they say it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. No, divine reality exists inside and all around you. Only when you have come to know your true self will you be fully known. Realizing at last that you are a child of the Living One. If, however, you never come to know who you truly are, you are a poverty-stricken being, and it is yourself which lies impoverished. Saying 3, the Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin, a translation of the Gospel of Thomas by Lynn Bauman. Blessed are those chosen and unified. The realm of the kingdom is theirs. For out of her you have come, and back to her you are returning. Yeshua saying 49, Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin, Lynn Bauman, translation. So the theme of the Gospel of Thomas clearly is Know Thyself. And that very much jives with the whole uh, Western mystical tradition, Platonism, Pythagoras. Uh, in other words, those wisdom Christians that Paul was battling in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A kind of wisdom focus. The Gospel of Thomas is a wisdom gospel focused on the sayings of Jesus the teachings, and very much favors this present tense kingdom of God, and sort of makes fun of uh, this prophecy talk approach that the kingdom of God arrives through prophecy speculation about stuff happening in the sky. If those who teach you say to you, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds will get there ahead of you, is the message of the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, basically, that the prophecy speculation train uh, doesn't take you there. It's just for the birds. That there is uh, a real kingdom of heaven that is within us and in our midst. And if we can just learn how to see, if we can just learn how to hear, if we can just learn how to see this unseen present tense kingdom, then we'll find it. All of this talk about prophecies being fulfilled um, worthless. His disciples said to him, When will the resurrection of the dead take place? His disciples said to him, When will the resurrection of the dead take place? And when will the new world come? He said to them, That resurrection which you are awaiting has already come, 
but you don't recognize it. New World in the St. Thomas branch of Eastern Christian mysticism was a term for other dimensions or heavenly realms. The New World, that's like a spiritual, a way of describing a spiritual realm. The new, the far country, the, the new frontier, the goal of our spiritual path, the goal of our practice, the New World, entering into the New World. Writing in the Aramaic language around 710 AD at a monastery in northern Iraq, Joseph the Visionary wrote this amazing paragraph about experiencing visions of the new world, the formless light. He says, The impulses of the mind are extended from the sphere of material things. The impulses of the mind are extended from the sphere of material things towards those impulses which are without limit, that is to say, wonder at the new world and the faculty of vision which belongs to the contemplation of the Holy Trinity. For when the vision of the mind is mingled with the light of that glorious Trinity, all its impulses become infinite. None of the visionaries or Gnostics is able to distinguish the identity of the mind as a result of the vision of that glorious light that is seen of the Holy Trinity. For all the innermost chambers of the heart are filled by that blessed light, and there are no shapes or forms or anything material, or number or color. Rather, that light who cannot be separated out into shapes and forms is single, owing to the simpleness of the faculty of sight. A passage by Joseph the Visionary in this St. Thomas of the East tradition of Christianity found uh, translated for the very first time in the English language from the original Syriac Aramaic in one of my favorite books of Eastern Christianity called The Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life by one of the world's great Aramaic scholars, Sebastian Brock of Oxford University. The Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life is actually published by a Catholic book company called Cistercian Press. Sebastian Brock has been focusing on these Syriac Aramaic saints and has a number of books out on St. Ephraim the Syrian, St. Isaac of Nineveh, Uh, Joseph the Visionary. There's a whole chapter dedicated to him. And all of this wonderful material from the Thomas branch of Eastern Christianity, the great grandchildren of the Gospel of Thomas and the Acts of Thomas in the Syriac East. Uh, All of those wonderful writings from the 4th to the 8th centuries. You know, he has been working on translating. He has his own partial translation of the Odes of Solomon, He's got a lot of material about St. Isaac of Nineveh and other Syriac saints and mystics of the East, a most impressive uh, scholar at this uh, YouTube channel. If you scroll to some of the earlier shows, uh, you'll find a three-part series with Sebastian Brock of Oxford 
on the Syriac Fathers, this whole wonderful tradition of Eastern Christianity, the great-grandchildren of the St. Thomas Christians there. Uh, Syria, Mesopotamia, Iran, along the Silk Road over to India and China. This is uh, their part of the world. Their founding apostle was St. Thomas, not Paul. Paul was Roman Empire, St. Mark was Egypt, and Thomas is the apostle of the East. In addition to the Gospel of Thomas, there is the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, there is a book called Thomas the Spiritual Athlete, or Thomas the Contender. There is a book that is fairly widely read and accepted called The Acts of St. Thomas. That's the Acts of Thomas, the Apostle, who eventually ended up in India. And, uh, of course, that's a very well-established tradition. The, the Indian Christians certainly think so. The Martama Christians of the East, there are millions of them who live in India, and uh, uh, they celebrate the Apostle Thomas as their founding saint. And uh, there is a burial site of Thomas in India, and they celebrate uh, his, uh, his life and his uh, passing there and his work in India. There is also the Psalms of Thomas. There is a kinder, gentler apocalypse of Thomas as well. Many books, or several books, I should say, attributed to Thomas, in addition to the Gospel of Thomas. Sayings Gospel Q and Thomas present a present tense kingdom of heaven. There are sayings found in Gospel of Q that talk about a present tense kingdom. And the Gospel of Thomas focuses on those sayings and takes that particular side of things very much in line with the teachings of the wisdom Christians that the kingdom of heaven is a present tense reality. One day I was reading Origin of Alexandria uh, and he quotes a saying of Jesus one who is near me is near the fire and the one who is far from me is far from my kingdom. And that saying is found in the Gospel of Thomas. There are certain sayings of Thomas that turn up elsewhere. Saying 42 of the Gospel of Thomas is as follows. Become passers-by. Become passers-by. What does that mean? I met someone online not too long ago that told me that they have that tattooed on their arm. That wouldn't be the saying that I would choose to have tattooed somewhere <laughs> on my body or my arm. Uh, but it is one of the shortest sayings of the Gospel of Thomas. So I suppose from the tattoo ink point of view, uh, if you're going to pick a saying, you might pick saying 42 because it's rather short. And it doesn't take uh, too much uh, uh, space on your body, not too much pain to get yourself inked with uh, saying 42. It's a very short saying, the shortest saying of Thomas. Become passers-by. But what does it mean? Some have wondered what this saying really means. Another translation renders it as follows. 
come into being as you pass away. Come into being as you pass away. That's from, again, my favorite translation, the Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin by Lynn Bauman. In other words, by a spiritual practice, a contemplative meditation practice, get established in the heavenly realms during this life, finding a permanent home in those realms. Instead of remaining attached to this outer world of changes, this world of samsara, this foundation of sand that fades away, drains away. Find the permanent in an impermanent world. Find the timeless in this world of time. Find the eternal divine reality even if we are temporarily citizens of this material world, this dusty world, as Rumi would say. And there is another version of this saying that's found in India in Arabic, inscribed on a mosque in India. The world is a bridge. Pass over it, but do not build your dwelling there. Arabic inscription at a mosque in India attributed to Isa or Yeshua Jesus the world is a bridge pass over it but do not build your dwelling there come into being as you pass away become passers by coming into being as you pass away suggests that some human beings maybe not everyone is into it or ready for it or open to it but there is this potential that comes with this gift of human life on planet earth this potential that we can come into being and in a deeper sort of way reach an inner level of knowing ourselves as a child of the father as a spark of the light, as a drop from the divine ocean, as someone seated with Christ already in heavenly places, we can come to know our our true Adam, our true self, the Atman, the true soul, or true spirit. We can we can come into being and let that being be more manifest in us. We can become in touch with that during this life. And that's certainly the goal of the Thomas tradition of Eastern Christianity. To seek, to find, to be troubled, to then be astonished rule over the all or the cosmos and enter into rest blessed are those chosen and unified the realm of the kingdom is theirs for out of her you have come and back to her you are returning Yeshua saying 49 Gospel of Thomas Wisdom of the Twin the Lynn Bauman translation 
In the month of December 1945, this mysterious ancient text known as the Gospel of Thomas, this collection of the sayings of Jesus, 114 sayings, was unearthed in Egypt, along with around 49 or 50 or perhaps 60 other books. A few of them got burned, uh, but we have knowledge of around 49 other texts from the early days of monastic Christianity in the Egyptian desert. The Gospel of Thomas was also used by the Valentinian Christians as scripture in Egypt and elsewhere around the Roman Empire during the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, a spiritual movement within Christianity with a version of Christianity that seemed a bit more Eastern, in many ways closer to Hinduism and Buddhism, certainly very close to Paul's wisdom Christians with a, a love of wisdom like, like you'd expect with some form of Judaism greatly informed by Pythagorean teachings and uh, Platonism. You know, a love of wisdom, a kind of deeper life or contemplative mystical Christianity. For the wisdom Christians, the Gospel of Thomas becomes alive, becomes the teachings of the living Jesus, the living one, by, by focusing on the sayings. I've always been a fan of this contemplative wisdom gospel with its format of proverbs and parables. It contains absolutely no narrative whatsoever. It's comprised solely of 114 unvarnished sayings of Jesus, one after the other, and that's it. There is no commentary. There is no spin. There is no story. There are no Roman centurions. There are no scribes. There are no Pharisees. There is no cloud of locusts to block our view. Rather than being presented through the lens of other schools of thought, the reader encounters a more direct, unfiltered historic Jesus. The picture goes from black and white to high def. The intention by those who compiled and circulated this Upanishad of Jesus, this collection of wisdom sayings at the feet of the master is to encourage readers to deeply ponder each and every saying for themselves leading them to their own personal insights and revelations to internalize the words and be transformed by them lectio divina eat the words digest the words absorb the nutrition and become the embodiment of those words in a living spirituality. That's the goal of those wisdom Christians who once contemplated the, the sayings, the, the proverbs of Jesus, known as the Gospel of Thomas. This collection of sayings allegedly recorded by the Apostle Thomas had a definite allegiance to the inner circle of Hebrew disciples or Ebionite movement that was originally led by the Apostle James the Just of Jerusalem. Earlier I mentioned that one of the sayings of Thomas that we know of uh, is also found in some surviving fragment of the Gospel of the Hebrews, mostly a lost work 
that seek and find, and then you'll be troubled, but then you'll be astonished, rule over the universe, and enter into heavenly rest. That saying is one of the few surviving verses of the ancient gospel of the Hebrews, known to the Apostle Paul sometime around 50 AD, when he wrote his book of Second Corinthians and mentioned James the Apostle. It uh, contains a saying, too, of the Gospel of Thomas. The seek find, troubled, astonished, rule over all, enter into rest, saying. And saying 12 of the Gospel of Thomas really puts it close to the Hebrew Christians, the original Christians, Christianity before Paul, as I call it. The disciples said to Jesus, We know that you are going to leave us. Who will be our leader? Jesus said to them, No matter where you are, you are to go to James the Just, for whose sake heaven and earth came into being. Gospel of Thomas, saying 12. So I think of the original Gospel of Thomas, although it was very much liked by Gnostics and Valentinians and others in later centuries, and, and you know, liked by Ecclesia Gnostica and modern-day Gnostic or neo-Gnostic sects today, uh, I believe originally the Gospel of Thomas emanates from the Hebrew Christians, the Jewish Christians, close to James the brother of Jesus, pillar of Jerusalem, as uh, Paul referred to him in his book of Galatians. I believe that the Gospel of Thomas goes back to that original Hebrew Christianity. Thus, the parallel saying with the Gospel of the Hebrews and this reference to James the Just in saying 12 of the Gospel of Thomas. So I don't really think of the Gospel of Thomas as a Gnostic Gospel, it was popular with the Gnostics, but I, I think the Gospel of Thomas originally uh, emanates from the Hebrew Christians. The Gnostics like the Gospel of John, too, but evangelical or fundamentalist Christians would not argue that the Gospel of John is a Gnostic Gospel. Correct? Same with Thomas. Popular with many forms of Gnosticism of later centuries, but originally emanated from a circle of disciples originally based in Jerusalem, closely allied to James the Just, pledges allegiance to James the brother of Jesus, the brother of the Lord. Saying 12, Gospel of Thomas. Though nowadays associated with Egypt, these surviving pages of the Nag Hammadi Library, including the Book of Thomas, are copies of even earlier Greek manuscripts, most likely originating from Syria, which was and remains home base of the St. Thomas branch of Christianity, the Aramaic Syriac Church of the East. It is said that St. Thomas, during the first century AD, headed east. He was sent out and eventually ended up in India, where he spent the rest of his life. That's recorded in another sacred text known as the Acts of Thomas, one of several writings in the Thomas tradition. Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of, of uh, Thomas the Spiritual Athlete, or Thomas the Contender, Psalms of Thomas, Infancy, Gospel of Thomas, 
Acts of Thomas, Apocalypse of Thomas. Summarizing the spiritual message of the Gospel of Thomas in the context of Syriac mysticism, what I've done, and this is fairly unique, is to study those writings translated by Sebastian Brock of Oxford from the great-grandchildren of the Thomas tradition, you know, the great-grandchildren of the Apostle Thomas in uh, the East, in Syria, Mesopotamia, Iran, along the Silk Road, over to India and uh, Tibet and China. Uh, This Eastern Christianity that goes back to St. Thomas and his first disciples uh, eventually branched out in different directions as all religions and denominations do. Eventually, the school of St. Thomas uh, branched out in different directions. One of them became the Syrian Orthodox Church. And those Syriac fathers that Sebastian Brock has translated in his wonderful writings, especially the Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life, those belong to the Syrian Orthodox tradition. Uh, There is also the Nestorian branch of Eastern Christianity that is considered to be heterodox or not so orthodox. Perhaps they beg to differ. And they too might like St. Isaac of Nineveh and Thomas and quote from the New Testament and, you know, don't consider themselves to be heterodox or less than orthodox. Uh, They are a major ancient uh, branch of Eastern Christianity too. And there is also the Gnostic Manichaean Church of the East, also with its roots going back to St. Thomas, Gospel of Thomas, Um, They also use the book of First Enoch and other texts. Uh, They really like the Psalms of Thomas and the hem of the pearl. Uh, They just adored the hem of the pearl, which is a beautiful hymn. I've I've dedicated a podcast. If you look at my YouTube channel here, you'll find a whole program dedicated to the hem of the pearl, which is, I think, one of the greatest of Gnostic texts of the ancient world, one of the greatest scriptures that planet Earth has to offer, in fact. And so, yes, the Manichaeans, uh, they traveled uh, up the Silk Road, over the Silk Road, to India, Tibet, as well as China, eastern China. Uh, And in eastern China is, uh, uh, at, at the end of that Silk Road, at the end of the road, uh, in uh, eastern China uh, is a, a something called the Church of the Light. And it really is hard to tell what the roots of the Dakin or the, the Church of the Light group. Are they Nestorian? Are they Syrian Orthodox? Are they Manichaean? The term Church of the Light actually sounds very Manichaean, but they also use a lot of Buddhist, Taoist, and Confucianist language too. So they really are a melting pot and if, you're, if they're going to incorporate Buddhist, Taoist, and Confucian teachings, how do you tell the difference? Uh, how do you separate Manichaean, Orthodox, or Nestorian from that melting pot? I'm not sure if anyone can. But it sure is a wonderful melting pot of teachings. It's really wonderful. 
It's a, a beautiful uh, collection of literature of, uh, of the, the Church of the Light in China. <clears throat> and that's another, another treasure trove of texts, one of several treasure troves of Eastern Christianity, called the Jesus Sutras. And if you look at Amazon or elsewhere, you'll find two or three books with the name Jesus Sutras in the title featuring some of those writings translated into English for the first time. Uh, Sebastian Brock's Syriac father material covers uh, between the 4th and 8th centuries AD the Church of the Light material that has been translated under the name Jesus Sutras of China by the Church of the Light. That material dates uh, to the 7th and 8th centuries AD. There are also a number of Manichaean writings that have been found. There's the Turfan Fragments, there's a book called Gnosis on the Silk Road, a number of uh, books uh, attributed to the prophet Mani and the Manichaeans. The, Psalm, the Coptic Psalm book of the Manichaeans was also found in Egypt at one point a number of decades ago. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole treasure trove of Manichaean writings as well representing this Eastern Christianity. So there's a Manichaean treasure trove of wonderful scriptures. There's the Jesus Sutras of the Church of the Light, the Chinese writings. There are several books of the Apostle Thomas or attributed to Thomas. And there are other writings uh, of the Syriac saints and mystics. Many of those have been translated into English by Sebastian Brock of Oxford University. Just to summarize some of the treasure troves of writings. Quite frequently, mystics describe inner visions as something that spontaneously appears when they reach a certain level of interior awareness, called pure prayer in the Syriac Aramaic tradition. The term used for what we might call meditation. The Egyptian mystic Evagrius once wrote, the offspring of pure prayer is swallowed up by the spirit. From this point on, the mind is beyond prayer, and prayer has ceased from it now that it has found something even more excellent. No longer does the mind actually pray, but there is a gaze of wonder at the inaccessible things which do not belong to the world of mortal beings. Evagrius was an Egyptian mystic, but he was very popular in the Syriac East, which is, which is why what I just read, the paragraph I just read, is found in the book The Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life, translated by Sebastian Brock. In the Gospel of Thomas, it says, We have come from the light. For you have come from it, and you will return there again. Many of these spiritual movements of Essenes, Gnostics, Friends of God, Ebionites, Manichaeans, Jesus, Sutras, Church of the Light, people, etc., have described themselves as children of the light. It was not an old scripture dating back many centuries, but a living teacher by the name of Yeshua who once taught his living students at the time that they would be able to experience entering 
the kingdom, the other dimensions of inner space, in this present tense, kingdom of heaven, by seeing divine light. Note the usage of the word light here is not a metaphor for intellectually understanding things, as in I see the light, but refers to a real divine light that is actually seen by people during contemplative meditation with the eye of the soul. If your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light, saying of Jesus preserved in Matthew 6.22. And it's parallel in Thomas. For this reason I say, if one is whole, one will be filled with light. But if one is divided, one will be filled with darkness. How dark that darkness is. Becoming a single one, a spiritually whole person, united with God, was the goal of the Thomas tradition of Syrian mysticism. When you make the two into one, then you will enter the kingdom, says Jesus in saying 22 of the Gospel of Thomas. The spirit, mind, and body of the mystic devotee all become united in God. Its new way of being is called singleness. The word for single one or singleness in the Syriac Aramaic language is ahudea and is used to describe souls that enter into mystical oneness. That's uh, according to Sebastian Brock of Oxford on a paper about the ahudea published by his Aram Society for Syro-Mesopotamian Studies. According to this document by Sebastian Brock of Oxford, the hermits of the Syrian tradition eventually were called the Ahudea. However, Ahudea isn't merely a title, an office, or a robe that one puts on, but is a matter of spiritual realization, an interior state of being, an individual experience, a mystical level of awareness that is reached by the contemplative soul. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's what that actually literally means. It doesn't mean that when prophecies are fulfilled, when some politician wins some office, uh, or there's some uh, you know, extraterrestrial sighting or big blood moon eclipse brouhaha that someone has written a book about to get rich by uh, you know selling books you know that doesn't that's not real and that's not what it means those who are pure of heart will see God they will enter into a stillness a purity a clarity of vision that will make it possible for them to see God nothing about mumbo jumbo in the sky in the by and by and politics and prophecy talk. A present tense kingdom of heaven that's unseen like radio waves, but if you have the right receiver and know the frequency, you can tune in. With the right kind of single eye, one can see the light. And for those who have ears to hear, they can hear the sound. There is a light within a person of light, and it illuminates the entire cosmos, saying 24 of the Gospel of Thomas. Further to the east, once upon a time, Kabir said, the light of one's soul 
is equal to that of sixteen suns. Valentinus of Alexandria once said, When the Father, who alone is good, visits the heart, he makes it holy and fills it with light. And so a person who has such a heart is called blessed, for that person will see God. A kind of paraphrase of the saying of Jesus there made by Valentinus of Alexandria. St. Isaac the Syrian, faith in Christ is living noetic light. The light of Jesus is noetic spiritual light, and blessed is the soul which is accounted worthy to see it. Today's program has been about the meaning of the Gospel of Thomas, a present tense kingdom of God for those that have the singleness of vision, that can enter into the singleness, a unified state, and re-enter a present tense kingdom of heaven during this life. The living master initiates his student, saying, That which the eye has not seen, what the ear has not heard, what the hand typically does not touch, and what has never occurred to the human mind, that I will give you. The Gospel of Thomas is a gospel of entering into the kingdom of the light, going back to the light again. Blessed are those who have approached the divine light, who have entered it and have been absorbed by it, mingled in its brightness, said one saint of Eastern Orthodox Christianity. For those who have a singleness of vision, it is possible to find the divine light and enter into this divine light, this experience of the light, here and now. We can enter into the kingdom of the light, see the light, be purified by it, and flow back into the eternal light of the Godhead once again through a contemplative meditation practice which is revealed by one's teacher. Saying 17 of the Gospel of Thomas really, I think, embodies one of the most important uh, parts of uh, the text because it suggests how one learns how to get there from here, how to experience the divine. What your own eyes cannot see, your human ears do not hear, your physical hands cannot touch, and what is inconceivable to the human mind, I will give to you. That I will give to you. Says the Master to his students. That's from saying 17 of the Gospel of Thomas, and we, we think of that as something that's written down. There's a version of that very same saying found in the New Testament in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 by the Apostle Paul, who, uh, no coincidence, I think, uh, you know, in, in his chapter Battling the Wisdom Christians, uh, quotes that saying. Um, we think of it as a passage, but the reality of it is once upon a time, somewhere in antiquity in the Middle East, a living master, a living teacher, had some students and he said those words to him, saying that he was 
mentoring them, guiding them into this experience. He was initiating them into the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He was serving as the catalyst and the guide to the entry into the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God. So it is not a scripture. It is not a cuneiform tablet. It is not a scroll. It is not a parchment in in Greek or Coptic or any other language in Syriac or Aramaic, some dialect of Aramaic. It's not a text that leads us into this experience. It is a living teacher who's who's saying that same thing to us here now in this generation, in this age, in this century. Uh, What we find in Thomas is very much part of a universal spiritual tradition. And that spiritual tradition has not died out, was not persecuted and wiped out by by Roman legions and Constantine sometime during the 4th century. Not at all. That tradition lives on in many different forms. And one can find a living school of spirituality in the 21st century that is that only now. Living gnosis now. What your own eyes cannot see, your human ears do not hear, your physical hands cannot touch, and what is inconceivable to the human mind, that I will give to you, says the living master, as they always have done in every generation of time, from the time of Pythagoras and and the teacher of righteousness and various apostles and Jesus and Shams of Tabriz and Rumi and Kabir and Nanak and Tulsi Das and Tulsi Sahib and Swamiji of Agra and all the saints, Sufis and Sants and esoteric mystics of the ages. They have always said that and they've always entered it. So for them, the kingdom of the heaven becomes a reality not talk about prophecy stuff happening up there in the sky in the by and by with the birds. Rather, a present tense reality that they have experienced. They've had their second coming. They've had their experience. They've gone from poverty to spiritual richness. If your spiritual guides say to you, look, the divine realm is in the sky, then the birds will get there ahead of you. If they say, it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. No, divine reality exists inside and all around you, in your midst. Only when you have come to know your true self will you be fully known realizing at last that you are a child of the living Father, that you are a child of the living One. If, however, you never come to know who you truly are, you are a poverty-stricken being, and it is yourself which lies impoverished, saying three Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin. Or my paraphrase of that last part, the ending part of that, is... You think poverty is all there is. Not aware of uh, what the eye can see, what the ear of the soul can hear, what we, on a spiritual level, can touch, what we can enter into. 
Blessed are the chosen and unified, the realm of the kingdom is theirs. For out of her you have come, and back to her you are returning once again. There is a light within a person of light, and it illuminates the entire cosmos. Do not rest until you enter into the kingdom of the light. Its light will purify you, make you into children of the light, and will take you back to the kingdom of the light. Thanks for joining me today on this YouTube edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio. Send me an email if you'd like to say hello, if you'd like to receive links to some of these books. I have a page dedicated to links to free online books. I have a whole Gnostic section. I have a whole Thomas section, a whole Syriac section. And of course, that's uh, just a subsection of other, you know, larger library that includes Kabir and Adi Grant and Sufi mystics, Vaishnava Bhakti poets of India. I have a whole Kabir section, a whole section dedicated to books of Kabir. Many books for free online. Send me an email and I can send you a link to whatever it is you are looking for. If you're looking for translations of the Gospel of Thomas online or other mystical books or if you'd like to receive some introductory meditation instructions about finding that inner light to achieve that single eye and entering into the divine light, uh, I can send you this material. Just send me an email at this address, james at spiritualawakeningradio.com james at spiritualawakeningradio.com or send me a text message at this number 508-603-9381 508-603-9381 Be sure to visit my website spiritualawakeningradio.com where you'll find many buttons that take you to podcasts on demand for free uh, my online library various blogs which uh, are, you know, archives to uh, posts for a number of years, a number of posts online. There are daily spiritual quotes to be found at Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook. I've got blogs at Medium, WordPress, Blogger, Blogspot, which is Google's uh, blogging site, spiritual networks, uh, pretty much everywhere online. And there's a donate button on the website for those who want to keep this this unusual project going, this spiritual mission, you know, Spiritual Awakening Radio, which is also a, a kind of Sant-Mat, Satsang podcast. Whatever the topic, it's the wisdom of the masters and mystics and scriptures. And I don't have guests very often. At times I have had guests, but... My real focus mostly is to just work for masters of the past and present and spend a lot of time. Usually, today's program is a bit more uh, uh, expounding on 
this book of Thomas, where it came from, how much legitimacy should we give to it, where does it fit in in the world of Christianity and spirituality and mysticism, what is it saying? There are people that talk about this book, but they never get around to, to saying what it's about and how do we enter into that same kingdom of heaven right now. So all of the unsaid things I try and get to, all of the stuff that doesn't get done elsewhere that you won't find on uh, the radio dial uh, about how to, how to enter into this practice and get into the actual uh, mechanics, uh, especially you know focused on meditation practice. Uh, that's, that's really my main goal with Spiritual Awakening Radio. Uh, to uh, to say what needs to be said that has not been said and otherwise doesn't get said. And I remember the first time when I was on Sirius Satellite Radio, there used to be a spiritual channel on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. And it was so cool uh, when, when, that was, uh, when that was going. And for the first time, these words of masters and Gnostic Gospels and dead sea scrolls and these ancient texts these words are being spoken from earth orbit through uh, you know this satellite you know and at the same time that the Sirius satellite radio channel you know the spiritual channel was on which lasted about 10 years this was on Sirius uh, there was a shortwave radio station that carried my program. It used to be a kind of community radio station on shortwave, kind of like Pacifica radio, only it was it was on shortwave. It, it's very expensive. Uh, if you have a million watt transmitter and you're paying the light bill for that, you have to have a tremendous amount of support to, to, to take care of that. You know, the thing about shortwave is it's very expensive. The electricity is very expensive. The transmitter, uh, well, it takes tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of watts, right? That's the whole idea. Uh, sort of an idea before the internet got going for a worldwide presence, and uh, usually it's governments that can afford to have transmitters like the BBC and, and so on. But for a number of years, uh, there was Radio for Peace International, Radio Paz, based in... Uh, in Costa Rica, Ciudad Colón, Costa Rica, at the University for Peace. And it was so cool having simultaneously this shortwave uh, broadcast and a satellite in, in orbit, you know, speaking these uh, ancient words for the first time. You know, no regard to best-selling authors on book tours, pimping, you know, for various popular books that already are getting too much attention as it is. Hey, how about something from the third century, like Pista Sophia, or <clears throat> from the, the the late first century or early second century, like the Gospel of Thomas, and uh, all of these other texts? How much? Why not just share those with the world? You know, and so that's uh, some of what I do. Part of my goal, you know, basically focused on the wisdom of various masters and mystics through Spiritual Awakening Radio. So visit my website if you like, spiritualawakeningradio.com and check out the various resources that are there. And tune in again and look for another 
podcast uploaded at YouTube here at this channel. For a spiritual awakening, I'm James Bean. Thanks for listening. 